have been following you every week online, and uh, I always enjoy listening to it. Sometimes I don't make it to the Sunday service, but I always listen to it sometime during the week and make sure that I support my brother. And a man I kind of consider my son. It's almost my son's age. My son turned 43 yesterday, so <laughs> you're close by. Now, ordination. Oh, sorry, kids leave. <laughs> There's some awfully old kids leaving. <laughs> Oh, fifth grade and lower. It's fifth grade and lower. Thank you. Thanks. It's been a long time. <laughs> they don't show that on the uh, video, I don't recall. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Anyhow, ordination is a process by which individuals are consecrated. That means set apart and elevated from the lady to the uh, clergy class. Um, and we do that to authorize them. Um, usually that's done with a denominational hierarchy composed of other clergy who perform various religious rites and, and ceremonies. The process of the ceremonies for ordination vary between religion and denomination. Um, and uh, so it's, it's an it's a accepted Practice In most Protestant churches, ordination uh, to the pastor or office is a right by which uh, the various churches recognize and affirm an individual who has been called by God to ministry. They acknowledge that that individual has gone through a period of discernment and training uh, related to his call and authorize the individual to take over the office of ministry. In my opinion, ordination is simply the clear call of God on a person's life and the church recognizing it. That's what it is. Uh, as a matter of fact, we see this in Acts 13 where we read there, these words. Now, there were prophets and teachers in the church at Antioch, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius the Cretan, uh, Manan, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch from childhood, and Saul. And while they were serving the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them. Then after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now, many were preaching, and many were teaching, and many were serving, but God's direction to the church at Antioch was to two people, Barnabas and Saul, who later became the apostle Paul. And he called those two aside for full-time service. That is what ordination is. Most of the time, those who are seeking ordination stand before an ordination council and are examined before being ordained. And we don't see that. 
in Acts 13. The church simply acknowledged that uh, what they saw God doing through Barnabas and Paul, by Saul, and, and um, those things that you have observed in KP for years, now, two years almost, a year and ten months, actually, I think. And uh, now, today, you've decided to set him apart for the work that you believe God called him to do, namely, become your pastor. Now, I concur. I feel about KP as Paul felt about Timothy when he wrote these words. Now, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be encouraged by hearing news about you. For there is no one here like him. And man, I, I've felt that way about KP since I met him. There's no one here like him who will really demonstrate his deep concern for you. Others are busy with their own concerns, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his qualifications, that like a son working with his father, he served with me in advancing the gospel. And seeing KP's work this past year and 10 months, reading his statement of faith and watching his life, it was the privilege of the church leadership to say that they heard like voted by unanimous vote, by unanimous vote, to affirm what the leaders saw. And KP is being set aside for the work that God has called him to do. Now, in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, we're going to be there this morning mostly, Isaiah is looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, to Jesus Christ, God's anointed servant. And under the guise of the Holy Spirit, in Isaiah chapter 42, he penned these words regarding Jesus. Here is my servant whom I support, my chosen one in whom I take pleasure. I have placed my spirit on him. He will make just decrees for the nations. He will not cry out or shout. He will not publicize himself in the street. A crushed reed he will not break. A dim wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully make just decrees. He will not grow dim or be crushed before extinction of his decrees. This is what the true God, the Lord, says. The one who created the sky and stretched it out. The one who fashioned the earth and everything that lives in it. The one who gives breath to the people on it and life to those who live on it. I, the Lord, officially commission you. I take hold of your hand. I will protect you and make you a covenant mediator for the people and a light to the nation. To open the eyes of the blind, to release prisoners from dungeons, and those living in darkness 
from prisons. Now in these seven verses, from the pen of Isaiah, we find a gold mine of rich encouragement and instruction. And we're going to be looking at these verses for the next couple of thoughts. While these verses, like I said, are a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God's chosen one, I believe these verses apply to all of those who call Jesus as Savior to an extent. And particularly, in a special way, to those who are called to a public ministry. So first and foremost, who have the spirit of approval placed on their life. Ephesians 1, chapter 11, I mean, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14 says this, In Christ too, we have been claimed as God's own possession, since we were predestined according to one purpose of Him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were first to set our hope in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. And when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in Jesus, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, who is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. Now, how do we know if we have the Holy Spirit in us? The simplest way of knowing that is not speaking some gibberish or even doing miracles because the devil does those. The simplest way to know if the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, are evidence in your life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. That's how you know if you have the Holy Spirit. And you could have come forward and you could have prayed a prayer, but then you walked away and you're living the same way you've always lived. The Bible tells us that when we come to Christ, there's change that takes place. We call it repentance. It means we're going one way away from God. We have a change of mind that leads to a change of heart, that leads to a change of direction. So we're going this way away from God. We turn 180 degrees and we go this way with God. And if you don't have the evidence of the Spirit in your life, you may not be a believer, and you need to settle that this morning. This may be the only chance you have to do that. We have no guarantee. Second, notice this. The servant of God is not self-promoting. Isaiah wrote of him, he will not cry out or shout. He will not publicize himself in the streets. The servant of God is not a boisterous bore. He's not self-seeking. Now, as we mentioned earlier on, we recognize that this passage is specific to Jesus the Messiah. But again, we recognize that this passage is applicable to all who call Jesus 
their Messiah. All who follow in his footsteps. The Bible reminds us, honor all people, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the king. Slaves, be subject to your masters with all reverence, not only to those who are good and gentle, but to those who are perverse. For this finds God's favor. It is because of conscience towards God someone endures hardships and suffering unjustly. For what credit is it to you if you sin and are mistreated and endure it? But if you do good and suffer and so endure, this finds favor with God. For to this you were called, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps. He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth when he was maligned himself to God who judges justly. And you know, KP, as a servant of God, one of the things that we have to learn unfortunately, is how to remain silent when we want to scream and protest. Um, God's servants exhibit a quiet authority. How do they accomplish that? We leave our hands, our, our case in the hands of the God who judges all things rightly. And let me be quick to point out that that doesn't mean that everything's going to work out the way we thought it was going to work out. Everything's not going to necessarily be smooth sailing. Won't be the preferred outcome that we wanted. You know, when Jesus trusted himself to the Father, the religious people who desired law over love had him crucified by a corrupt Roman establishment. And had you been there at the time, had I been there at the time and heard him cry from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We would have to conclude that somehow God's plan had failed. That his justice had been thwarted. But nothing could be further from the truth. God's plan, justice has not been impugned. And here's a question for all of us. Can you go on trusting God even when everything on the surface says this is foolish? This is so This is not worth it. Can you go on trusting him? Third, God's servant must be tender in his care. A crushed reed he will not break. A dim wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully make just decrees. Now, you know, the beauty of that verse could easily be missed in our modern culture. The reed that is being referred here is a reed pipe that was made by the shepherds out in the fields, protecting their sheep in dangerous circumstances. And during the night, the shepherd who fashioned this reed pipe would play on it to bring comfort to the sheep. To encourage, to let them know, you're okay, I'm here. And those reed pipes were very fragile. They were very easy to make. 
So what is guard? When one got broken, they would, or, or, or bruised to the point where it wouldn't play right, they would just break it and throw it away, make a new one. God's servant doesn't do that. He's tender in his care. And this is not only for God's servant, but this is for all of the, us who call ourselves believers. <laughs> we need to repair people rather than discarding people. That's the primary role of a pastor, by the way, in my opinion. We bind the broken and make them useful again. We don't simply discard them and move on to somebody new. The same is true of the picture of the wick. The common practice of the wick when it would grow dim would be to just simply snuff it out, cut off the charred ends, and then relight the lamp. That was the easiest, the quickest, and the most prudent way of solving the problem. Not so with Jesus. And not so with those of us who represent him. We carefully blow that dying wick back in to flame. Brought it back. Then we can cut off some of those charred areas that harmed the flame in the first place. But we don't smother the flame and start again. And so this is a beautiful picture. Verse 3 is a beautiful picture of God's tenderness and we see that again and again demonstrated in the life of Jesus. Think about the woman caught in the act of adultery in John chapter 8. By God's law, she was guilty and she was deserving of death by stoning. But the author of that law forgave her and gave her a new start. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. So he doesn't just let her, okay, you know, it's fine. Just any way you want. He tells her, have that repentance. You've got to turn. But he doesn't discard her. We think of the woman at the well. Here's a woman who had a long history of moral failure and failed marriages. Her own people didn't want anything to do with her. That's why she had to come out to the well in the middle of the day. Nobody wanted to be around her. At the well that would become a redemptive conversation that would end up in the salvation of a whole city in Samaria. A place that was Jews and, and uh, the Samaritans hated each other. But there was change because of this. And we don't often think about this, but think about the tax collector Matthew. Tax collectors in Jesus' day were the lowest of lows in Jewish society. You know, there were righteous people, then there were common people, and then there were sinners, and then there were tax collectors. And they had a category all of their own. Now, Matthew was one of Jesus' 12 inner circle, one of his 12 disciples. But have you ever stopped to think about this? 
when Jesus confronts Matthew, Matthew is sitting at the tax collector's table. He's not in church. He's not in the temple. He's not trying to get it right. He's doing his thing, cheating people. And Jesus comes up to him, and he says, follow me. Now, he doesn't say to him, make your life straightened out. And once you get your life straightened out, you then, you know, decide what you believe about me. And then maybe you could come and follow. No. He goes to Matthew and he says, Matthew, follow me. And by the way, while you're following me, those questions and those doubts and those things in your life that shouldn't be in your life, they'll fall away. You see, we start it backwards many times. He doesn't say, go and get those things straightened out and then come. He says, come and follow, and by the way, things will straighten out then. And then I don't know about you, but I think about Peter. Peter, who denied Jesus three times and actually said, you know, when it talks about Peter cursing, he might have used some languages that he shouldn't have used, but he wasn't cursing the way we think of cursing. When we think of, of Peter cursing, what he was saying is, as God is my witness, I have nothing to do with this guy. I don't know him. Now, what would you do with that? I'll tell you what I would do with that. If, if, I, if I were in that situation I, and, and I took Peter, this abject failure in the face of fear, that's what it was. I would have said to him, go and get a spine. Spend years proving that you have a spine. And then we might use you some way, but as far as leadership is concerned, you're done. You don't get another shot. Is that what Jesus does? No, Jesus not only restores him, he puts him in charge of the whole thing. A crushed reed he will not break. A dim wick he will not extinguish. He will make just decrees. That's the fourth thing. It means that God's man stays true to God's commands. God's man always stays true to God's commands. Doesn't matter what you think. It's what he said. You know, we used to have a phrase back, I think it was the 70s, that said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. That phrase is wrong. That phrase is wrong. doesn't matter whether I believe it or not. If God said it, it's true. It's said. God's man stays true to God's command. And then fifth, God's man remains faithful even in the dark hours. Verse 4, he will not grow dim or be crushed. That means he won't grow weary or be crushed before establishing justice on the earth. He will faithfully make just, I mean, uh, the coastlands will wait in anticipation. I went back on the wrong, my notes. Retired just in time. 
The message translation actually puts this phrase this way. He won't tire out and he won't quit. He won't tire out and he won't quit. You know, there have been many times in my ministry, KP, I'm just going to tell you this. There have been many times in my ministry, and I started full-time ministry in 1975. And there were many times in that time that I was tired and burnt out. And like the prophet Elijah, I cried out to God. I'm the only one left. I had one experience in one church, not this church. This church actually came out of this experience. I laid on the floor behind my desk, weeping. And I said to God, I said, God, if you don't let me out of my call as a minister, I'm going to be disobedient. <laughs> but God is so good. He doesn't take a crushed reed and throw it out or dimwick and cut it off. He just took me and nurtured me. And I went to a meeting that Wednesday to pray with three friends, we thought. But there were 13 people at that meeting, and they said, we don't know what we're going to do. Pastor, we know that we're not welcome to that church either. And uh, they said, will you at least continue to teach us a Bible study? And I said, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. Myra and I talked about it. We prayed about it, and we agreed to do that. I was looking for work in law enforcement back then. I had been through the police academy. And I was going to go back into secular work. And uh, we came to our first Bible study, and 75 people were there. And the second week, 75 people were there. And the third week, the leadership of that Bible study said, you know, pastor, dollars a year if you try to take this Bible study and make something out of it. And that's where Gateway Community Church came from. 1992. One? Pardon? 92. November of 92. That's where it came from. And I have been your pastor. Now I'm Pastor Emeritus. Um, which is a, a, a good thing. I'm enjoying retirement. And let me just tell you that I'm going back. I'm, I'm not done with ministry. I'm still doing ministry. I get to speak in other churches. I, I'm doing magic shows again. I used to do magic shows all the time. I'm getting to do those again. Um, gospel magic. So it's been a wonderful, wonderful things. But there'll be times when you feel like you can't take it anymore. And I want to say, don't quit. It's not that we win. It's that we already won. <laughs> that battle is done. We're just reclaiming ground. And there'll be times when we want to quit. Don't, don't quit. Don't quit. Never give up. The passage that kept me strong during those times were 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Four Brothers and sisters, be firm. Always abounding in the word. Of, don't, don't be moved. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. So because you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord.
the translation that I'm using now, the New English translation says, so dear brothers and sisters, be firm. Don't be moved. Always be outstanding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And KP, I want to pass on to you some advice that I received from Ted Engstrom. Back then, Ted Engstrom was the president of World Vision International. And I was in a ministry and I was discouraged. It was one of my early discouragements. And I was having lunch. I had the privilege of having lunch with Dr. Ingstrom. And Dr. Ingstrom looked at me across the table. And here's the advice he gave me. Lunch table. He said, John, it's always too soon to quit. Always too soon to quit. So we must not grow weary in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not give up. Now let me turn away from KP and address some of you because some of you have grown weary in your walk with time to come back. Don't grow weary in doing good for in the right time when the time is exactly right in due time we will reap if we do not give up. And the thing that will help you on this KP more than anything else, the thing that helped me on this more than anything else is to be absolutely sure of God's call on your life. Be absolutely certain of it. I, the Lord, officially commission you. I will take hold of your hand. I will protect you and make you a covenant mediator for the people and a light to the nations. That's verse 6 of Isaiah. God commissions, and the church recognizes that commission. That's what ordination is all about. God commissions, and the church recognizes that. Be sure of your call. Now, the next thing, the sixth thing, and that's the sixth thing, the final thing, is this. Never lose sight of the purpose of your call. To open the eyes of the blind, to release prisoners from dungeons, Jesus Christ. That's powerful enough to open eyes that are spiritually blind. It's powerful enough to set people who are bound in sin free and to bring hope to those who have lost hope. And we have a glorious privilege Charles Haddon Spurgeon was known as the Prince of Preachers. He was a pastor over in England. And he said this, if God calls you to preach, don't stoop to be king. If God calls you to preach, don't stoop to be king. And I believe that. So, we're coming out to the time of invitation. And I'm going to ask the elders to come. Uh, you can stay there right now, but if the elders will come and sit here in the front as well. And the reason for that is our invitation is a little long. I, I want you to know that. The invitation is a little long. This is for KP, and, and this is for you. And after the invitation, we're going to come forward, and KP and um, the elders and I are going to gather together. We're going to lay our hands on our, this brother. I'm going to pray and commission him. But before we do, 
We're going to play a song, and it'll be up here. I want you to see the words, too. It's called of a this song. You come on, sit down, guys, because it's a while. Right here, we've got seats. If God speaks to you during this song, I'm going to challenge you to do one of three things. One, if he speaks to you somewhere in this and it moves you, you can stand right where you sit. And by doing that, you're saying to God, I'm available. I'm available. And you're telling this church, you're available to serve. Or you might want to just raise your hand. Say, I'm available. Or maybe, you know, you don't feel comfortable with that. And I, I just want you to sit there and, and keep your hands clasped on your lap in a little fist while this song, and watch the words while we're playing it. And if God speaks to you, just open those hands and let go, whatever it is, whatever excuse it is that's keeping you from serving. It may be a sin that you have to forsake. And you know that, and so you haven't wanted to forsake it, so you've kind of held on to it. It may be a relationship you have to break. You know it's not a good relationship. You need to let it go. An ordination in this, and we're recognizing that he has said already that he is available. But I got to tell you this, congregation, this work is not his, it's yours. It takes a whole body to serve. His job is going to be to equip you to serve, not to do all the work of the church. So get that straight right now and everybody will be happier and the church will be healthier. Let me pray. Father, I want you to speak now to our hearts as we listen to this invitation song and as we watch the words. Lord, help us to decide. Is your death on the cross for me enough for me to sacrifice for you? In Jesus' name. Amen.
Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for this servant who said, you can have it all. I'm available. And Father, I thank you for my brother and for my son who I know I've left this church in good hands with capable hands. Lord, I continue to follow them and listen to them and I've never heard them put a foot wrong, face a thing wrong, and I thank you for that. Your hand is obvious on him. And so now, Lord, we commission him, only recognizing the commission you've already placed on his life, the call that you have placed on his life, and made clear to the men who have gathered around here, to this church who voted unanimously for him as their pastor, 
And Father, I pray that you will strengthen him and keep him, encourage him, help him not to grow weary or crushed when times are tough, but to hang strong. And Father, we pray this not only that it's harder for us to deal with as men, I think, but I pray that you would strengthen his family as well and guide them as they support KP in this call. Lord, bless this man. Bless this church. Until either you call us home or you come again. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. can't think of a more appropriate way, y'all may be seated for now, I can't think of a more appropriate way to celebrate what we've just been through and to partake in the Lord's table, Holy Communion. Now let me just remind you, you should have been given a a cup and a, yes, you'll be glad to get one to you. But let me remind you that this celebration is for believers only. The scripture says, For this reason, whoever eats of the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. A person should examine himself first, and in this way let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without careful regard for the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and quite a few are dead. But if we examined ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. And uh, as we take of the bread, I'm going to ask you to just kind of peel your cup. How, how does this work? What's that? It's a little difficult sometimes. Okay, so the top peels off and there's a little wafer. The wafer represents the body of Christ. And here's what Paul, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then if you'll carefully peel the rest for the cup. He said, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. 
Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now, I know some of you are worried about the time. It's a little, only 15 minutes after, but we're going to feed you. Before we feed you and before we dismiss you, our elder, um, William Walling, is going to come. He's going after he says something. What's that? Oh, KP will dismiss him. So you're going to pray and then KP will dismiss you. And make sure you see KP and Cherry and their family today sometime. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and your mercy, your grace. Thank you for loving us so much. Father, we thank you for the path, the long path that you led our brother KP down that puts him right here in front of us this very day. Today, KP is on the threshold of a lifetime ministry. Uh, that we pray for last for many years. Father, we ask that you uh, allow him to do far, far more than he ever expects. We know that through you, anything is possible. Father, we, uh, we ask that uh, you uh, keep him strong. We ask that you uh, keep uh, him away from sin and temptation. We ask that you put a hedge of protections around him. We know that Satan's always around the corner, so protect him with that hedge of protection. Father, we ask that uh, we know that, but we also know equally as well that being a husband and a father is equally a great task. We pray that he learns wisdom and discernment in balancing his time between the two duties and never forsaking one for the other. Father, we pray for the elders here that we can assist KP in all ways, always being there to help him with his duties, using our wisdom being sound biblical principles in that. Uh, Father, lastly, we pray for this entire congregation here. Uh, we pray that we do two things, and that's the uh, commandment that Jesus gave us, is that we love God with all our heart and all our soul. We also pray that likewise we love one another as you have loved us. If we can get these two things right, then we can, we can proclaim our voices loudly to the entire world. Uh, these things we ask in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. KP's going to dismiss us. All praises, all honor, all glory to God the Father. You know, uh, he's brought to pass something that I believe he revealed to me quite a few years ago, over 15 years ago, as a matter of fact. When I think about all the plans I had for my life, what I wanted to be when I grow up, Preaching and pastoring was not one of them. So the Bible is true. A man can plan, but God's purposes always prevail. I thank Pastor John. Um, 
for the important role that he has had and has in my life. Him and I both agree that our relationship is providential. Uh, I thank all of you who have come today, uh, all of you who are joining live online, and even those that could not be here who sent well wishes and uh, your words of encouragement and support uh, on this, this spiritual journey that God has placed me on. But let me say this emphatically. It is only by the grace of God I am what I am. The Lord Jesus died for this church. He is the head of the church. I am but a servant, and it is my honor and privilege to serve him by serving you as the pastor here at Gateway Community Church. It's my desire. Let me say this, the road won't be easy, but as William said, with God, all things are possible. And so it's my desire that Gateway becomes everything that God has willed for her to become. It's my prayer of the local assembly that bears the name of Jesus Christ. Unified, a diverse people unified in love under one Lord and one faith. Impacting the community that he's placed us in. So if the Lord wills, I look forward to many years serving at this appointed time and in this appointed place with all of you. I love you guys all. Thank you so much for allowing me this opportunity to serve. Thank you guys so much. Words just can't express what I'm feeling right now at this very moment. But I love you and I thank you. I'm going to pray for the, ask the Lord to bless the food. Please, 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 if you have to hurry, which I hope is not true for anybody, if you have to hurry and leave, at least let me see you before you leave. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much again for what you have done. All the glory, honor, and praise to you, God. God, we thank you now for the food that has been made ready. We ask your blessings upon it, and may it be used for the nourishment of our bodies. God, I pray for each and every individual that is in this place and those who have joined us live. I pray your favor and your blessings upon their lives. Thank you, God, for once again proving how true your word is. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I bless you guys.